This afternoon, I preach to you the Word of God as we uh, read it in the, in the preface to the law of God, the, the introductory words. We can read them in Exodus 20, verse 2. And there we read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you can see that in Lord's Day 34, uh, that's page 550 of the Book of Praise in the Catechism. The law of the Lord is presented there, all ten commandments, in question and answer 92. And then question and answer 93 asks the question, uh, how are these commandments divided? And the answer is into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbor. And then next week we can look at the first commandment. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, many of the new products that are available in the stores today, on the, on the dealerships, car dealerships, uh, these products are loaded with features that have never been known before, and so we're finding that we depend a lot on the instruction manuals. We want to fully enjoy all the features of our new products. We need to follow the instructions, the little books, or sometimes big books. If you move to a new country, if you're in a new situation, uh, you find yourself in a similar situation. You need to learn uh, what you need to do to, to be a part of the society and the culture. If you want to thrive there, you need to receive instruction about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and when to celebrate what and what to wear when. Now the Israelites, uh, they moved from one country, one situation to a new situation. You know that they were uh, slaves in Egypt for a long time. Egypt is even compared in Deuteronomy 4 verse 20 to an iron furnace of slavery. And then they were brought to a wealthy, blessed land of milk and honey. That's a way of saying that they had everything they wanted. Uh, that they could call their very own. They each got their own property and they could worship God in freedom. What a change for them. But they also needed instructions then on how to live in a covenant relationship with God in their new land like Adam and Eve had lived with God in this freedom to worship. And the preface, the, the introductory words to the Ten Commandments that, that we read in Exodus 20, verse 2, that I also preached to you this afternoon, they make it very clear that the Ten Commandments are given to the people of God after He had saved them from slavery. Through the law, God revealed His very nature to the people of God as they were leaving slavery and coming into the new land. And they could look through that window of the law in order to begin to understand how God made the world and how he created everything so that they could cooperate together and, and live in this relationship with God and live for the glory of God. 
And clearly then the Ten Commandments are very valuable for us today as we continue to live in a relationship of peace with our God in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And I preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ as we see it in the preface to the law under this theme. The Ten Commandments show us how to live well in our redeemed life in Christ Jesus. And we'll see that, what that preface meant in, in the beginning in the Old Covenant, and then we'll move and see what it meant and what it means now in the New Covenant. If you were an Israelite and you heard the Ten Commandments, you would right away make a connection to salvation, to being saved from slavery. The Ten Commandments for an Israelite were associated with freedom. And in order that we don't forget that, we always read when the Lord gave the law. Every time we read the Ten Commandments, we also read when God gave the law, when he set them free from slavery in Egypt. And when we open God's holy word just now, we read Deuteronomy chapter 4, Verse 32 to, verses 32 to 40, those verses we saw, they reveal that the exodus and the giving of the law are some of the greatest works of God that had ever been seen on the earth since the beginning of the world when God created men on the earth. The same God who created man on the earth later chose a specific nation, we read, of all the nations of the earth and he allowed them to know that the Lord is God and that there is none beside him. We read that in verses 35 and 39. The Holy Spirit says that because God loved his covenant people, your fathers, and he chose their offspring after them, we read in verse 37, he brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. Until the coming of Christ, the exodus is, is the most referred to act of deliverance that you read in the Old Testament prophets as they were preaching to the kings. It's only slightly rivaled by the return uh, from exile in, in Babylon. So that reference to deliverance from Egypt that we see in, in the preface, it's the starting point, it's the foundation of all that we read in each of the commandments. In fact, it's impossible to imagine keeping any of these commandments without knowing that we have been set free from bondage and slavery to any other power. They're commandments that are connected to salvation. They follow salvation. We see that also in the passage we read, they, they, they're connected to salvation, and they're also connected to living the new life. Deuteronomy 4, verse 40. We read that there, he, the connection to the new life, the new land. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Although the commandments were given to the people while they were in the desert on Mount Sinai, they were within them, within the commandments, we see that they were meant for settled life in the promised land. The fourth commandment 
It speaks about the sojourner in your gate. In the gate, the 10th commandment speaks about your house and your neighbor. So the, the commandments were given with a view to living in a new life in the, in the promised land. The law was not just a test of faithfulness in the desert. It was given in the context of grace and salvation. And it was God's way of promoting and maintaining an ongoing relationship with God. An ongoing relationship of love between him and his people in that promised land. It's clear that God revealed in the law who he was and how he made the world so that his people could prolong their life in the new land where they were going. The Lord wanted his people to enjoy that promised rest, that that rest that is spoken uh, about in Hebrews 4 in the church of Jesus Christ. He wanted his people to enjoy that promised rest, and so what did he do? He gave his law. He gave his law so that people would know who he was, who they were, and how they could live together in peace. The law that God spoke to the people of Israel was so foundational for all of life in the promised land that we read that the tablets of the law were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, which was placed in the most holy place in the temple. Yes, we could say, in all the world at that time. As they went into the new land, they built the temple. They had the most holy place where God sat above the cherubim. And he sat right there on the foundation. And on the the foundation were the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of the law. And the Lord said that those commandments right there in the heart of all of redeemed life, they would serve as a testimony against the people of Israel. You could say they would serve as an explanation to the people of Israel when things went wrong or, or when they sinned against him. they say, what's happening? Why is there such suffering in this life? They could look. They could look at the foundation. They could compare their lives with those two tablets of the law right there in the center of this covenantal relationship. And we know it very well that the word of God, it cuts two ways. It, it shows the way of life. It shows the only truth. It blesses us when we live according to those commandments. But when we disobey, things go badly. We, we suffer. There's conflict. There's pain. And there's punishment. And since God does not change and we, we serve the same God... We need to, again, recognize how the, the law is, is that foundation for living with him. It's, it's a very rich blessing to us. And if we sin against it willingly, with hatred in our hearts, uh, there's, there's suffering that will necessarily follow. And the sad reality is that ever since the fall into sin, that's exactly what we're doing that's exactly what we do. We, we respect the law and we want to walk in the law. But, and, and we know this very well, we, we can't actually keep the law in its fullness. We read about that in Romans chapter 7. This isn't an Old Testament problem. 
The passage we read in Deuteronomy tells us that the law was given to Israel after God graciously delivered them from slavery, but the context shows us that their redemption from slavery did not guarantee that they would obey the instruction that God had given to them. It gave the promise of life, but when people were rebellious and sinned against it, it didn't didn't produce. The Lord knew this as well. And although he could have the law in in the center of his dwelling here on earth as the foundation of his throne between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant and the basis of his relationship with his people in the promised land, this law became a burden for his people. And a burden that they couldn't sustain because of their sinful nature and rebellious heart. All it became was a testimony, a testimony showing them how sinful they were. And so instead of becoming a celebration of freedom and of life and joy in a new relationship with God, the law turned into a light that just kept showing sin, showing that no one in their own strength could live in peace with God and their neighbor. God called for love. Love me and love your neighbor. And his people responded with hatred. And the law, which was so holy and so righteous and so good, like Paul says in Romans 7 verse 12, it turned out to be the the condemnation, the basis of the condemnation of an ever-growing number of idolatrous children in the covenant. And then we go back to that ark. The two tablets of the law were in the ark of the covenant. And on top, on the lid, was the mercy seat. It was called the mercy seat. Already in the Old Testament, already right there in the middle of this new relationship. And there was sprinkled on the blood of this mercy seat, the blood of the lamb. Every year, the high priest would go in there and again have to say, Lord, we deserve the punishment that that sacrifice deserved. And they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat that covered the Ten Commandments. And so God would continue the relationship with his sinful, rebellious people because of the hope of a sacrifice that could pay for all their sins. We know who that sacrifice is. We know of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it happened that God's divine instruction for the new redeemed life in the promised land was shown to be quite unhelpful as long as no one actually kept the law. The Ten Commandments only bring blessing when they are obeyed. And so the law drove people to eagerly look forward to the one who would fulfill that the blood of the sacrifice in the Old Testament. And they were looking forward to the new covenant. And then the prophet Jeremiah came. And Jeremiah gave a most marvelous promise to his people. You can, you can read it as well. It's in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. I'll, I'll read some parts of it. Here the Lord spoke to his people. And now you can imagine the people, they're longing for righteousness. They're longing for this innocence. They're longing for the new life of of are walking with their God, and he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And then verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so the preface of the law is, is brought to the new covenant. The Lord fulfilled that promise, and we know how. When he sent his son, Jesus Christ, Paul says in Galatians 4, born under the law in order to keep the law. The Lord Jesus told John the Baptist, I came to fulfill all righteousness. In his work and in his life, we see that the pattern of the exodus repeating itself. The delivery from slavery, what is that in Jesus Christ? It's, it's much greater. The delivery from slavery is now the delivery from the dominion of sin and the devil. Once set free in Christ Jesus, we are given new life, a new relationship with God. We are no longer enemies and objects of his wrath. But the Lord Jesus says, you are friends. You are adopted children. We even heard that as we read the form for baptism. We have passed over from death to life. There is no way back once we have crossed that border. It's not just entering the promised land as a piece of real estate here on the earth. It's crossing from death to life in Jesus Christ. And once we are saved in Christ Jesus, we can look a little closer at all that he has done. And we see that although we are saved by grace alone, not because we obeyed the commandments, but by God's grace alone. Christ Jesus was the second Adam. He kept the law perfectly for us and in our place. The New Testament makes it very clear that the Lord Jesus did not abolish the law when he came. The Lord Jesus fulfilled the law. That means he understood the depths of the law. He kept it perfectly for everyone who believes in him. The Lord Jesus is what is called the, the true Israelite. He represents us. He offers perfect obedience to the Father for us. And he also received the full reward for this obedience. Everything that the Lord promised associated with obedience to the Ten Commandments was poured out upon his son, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, if we belong to him, we receive all the blessings. We receive all the covenant blessings because of Christ's obedience. We can use a, a very simple picture. We can imagine a bunch of children together the bottom of an apple tree and only one child can climb the tree. So one child climbs the tree for all the other children and takes the apples and can throw it down upon the other children around the tree and they, they all get apples because the one could climb the tree. The Lord Jesus obeyed the law perfectly to receive all the rewards that God promised and he takes that and he pours it out upon us who belong to him 
the church. So when we look at the preface, when we look at those first words to the Ten Commandments that we hear every Sunday, we read slavery, being set free from slavery in Egypt, and we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we think that of all that he did, how he set us free from, from the dominion of, of sin, and how he restored us to a new and living relationship with God. In Christ, we have such a greater salvation. We have such a greater blessing. That's not the end of the story then. The Lord promised that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ could be considered righteous together with the Lord Jesus. Whoever believes in him can receive all the benefits of the one who obeyed for us. God looks at us and he sees innocent children, innocent adopted children in a renewed relationship. And then the Lord Jesus taught us that as adopted children, by the grace of God, we are now allowed to, we have the privilege that we are allowed to imitate the Lord Jesus, the true child of God, the eternal child of God, I should say, and we can walk according to the standards of that glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ our Lord. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he poured out upon us his Holy Spirit, his heavenly gifts, in order that the Holy Spirit might guide us in this new kingdom, in this, this realm of being saved, this new redeemed life that we have. We're led by the Holy Spirit. Very, very clear in the New Testament. And then the question is, okay, here we are. We're living by grace. Jesus Christ is king in heaven. He poured out his Holy Spirit. We're citizens of a new kingdom. What are the rules of this new kingdom? What is, how, does, how does God want us to live now that we're set free in Christ in this new life? Could it be the same law as God spoke on Mount Sinai so many years before? Or is that law outdated now? When we look to the New Testament, we see our Lord Jesus teaching us what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And we look at what he teaches us and what the Holy Spirit teaches us in the epistles as well, the letters that Paul wrote. And what kind of instruction are we getting? We're getting instruction in the Ten Commandments. Jeremiah tells us that the law will be the same, except it will be written on our hearts. We'll begin to desire to obey those laws. Since the law reflects God's nature, it's instruction on how to live with the Creator. And since God has not changed to be different after Christ, we should not be surprised that the Lord Jesus used the same Ten Commandments that God gave Israel when he taught us how to glorify God in the New Covenant. If we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, or we look at the Sermon on the Plain, which is very similar in Luke 6, he showed us that his kingdom is not a new kingdom with different rules and standards, but it's the same kingdom and the same God and the same Ten Commandments that continue to show us how to live in a renewed relationship with God. And so we look at those Ten Commandments and we say, wow, they still apply. They still apply. It's the same, it's the same message 
And look at how down to earth the commandments are. They have to do with our life. They have to do with things that we see and deal with every day of the week. Christ fulfilled the first four commandments by walking with his Father in heaven, by talking to him about his task, his desires, his love, his trust, and his needs. That's practical stuff. It's stuff that we desire to do. It makes sense. It fits living in a new life with our God in heaven. And we praise God that we may hear the commandments to keep our minds and our hearts focused on his perfection, his holiness, his glory, his might, and his power. And the Ten Commandments also touch on our relationship to the people around us. And once again, when we go through the Ten Commandments, we see how practical, how down to earth our holy God is. He knows what we're seeing on Monday and Wednesday during the week. He knows what the, our lives are like. He knows where we can be, uh, where we can live with joy in our new life with him. He knows the experience that we have every day. And we see then that Christianity has to do with, with human beings on the earth, human beings that we, that we, we know and, and, and we touch every day, working to develop the full potential that God hid in the earth at the time of creation. These commandments have to do with our struggle against the effects of the fall into sin. Do you realize how significant it is that in the temple, in the Old Testament, in the Ark of the Covenant, in the center where God dwelt here on earth, there were rules, there was commandments about a man and a wife living together. There were commandments about how you speak, not to speak lies. That it has to do with your view of life, your view of work, your view of possessions. The way that you guard uh, the, the, the day of rest. Those were the things that God's kingdom were based on. They're the foundational elements this isn't pie-in-the-sky theology. This has to do with what you do in the schoolyard, before and after school or during your, your recesses. This has to do with, with how you work, your drive to work, the grocery store, how you speak to one another around the table, the new life. In Christ is a life that is completely permeated by our heavenly God and Father. He sees and he knows. And so we see the depth of the commandments and yet how, how simple they can be worded. We could see there that the scope, a child can list off 10 commandments and tell you what it means. And a theologian can write a big book on the same commandments. And every day as we live our lives, we'll see, oh, this has to do with that commandment. This has to do with that commandment. It's very pertinent. It's very relevant to all of our lives. And then as we think about this, we think again of Deuteronomy 4. Has anything like this ever been seen in any other religion and in any other situation? 
Can anyone else offer the absolute truth that governs all creation from the mouth of our holy God, who did not show a form, but who speaks in fire to his covenant people that he's saved from everlasting slavery to sin? Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. May the God of peace lead you in this gospel by his Holy Spirit so that you may walk with your God in your new and redeemed life in Jesus Christ with thankfulness and wisdom and love. Amen.